Many thanks for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by the Editor-in-Chief of Heart, who is Professor Catherine Otto from the University of Washington School of Medicine. Catherine, many thanks for joining us on this episode. Thank you for inviting me. Catherine, I wanted to talk to you about a paper which is coming out shortly in Heart, which is called Tips for Publishing Your Research. And this is going to be in the Cardiology in Focus section of the Heart Journal. Uh, I just wondered if you could give me a little bit of background into how uh, you decided to uh, write this paper and who it's aimed at, and really your thoughts going into the uh, writing of this. Yeah, this is a real short paper for the cardiology and focus section, which is really aimed at junior cardiologists and trainees, but I think will be valuable to anyone uh, preparing a paper for research. It's really focused on clinical cardiology research, just to highlight you know, some of the common ways in which people could have made their paper better before submitting it to a journal to try to make it easier for people to get their research published. Okay. And uh, what I'll do is I'll drop a link to the published paper into the podcast show notes. But perhaps if we can just talk about some of the things that really stood out to me, would that be okay? Sure, absolutely. One of the interesting things that I found about the paper was that you talk about actually planning your research paper at the time of planning your research project. And that was fascinating to me. Are you able to expand a little bit on that? Yeah, this is something that one of my mentors early on when I was still in training taught me is that, if, that you really should be thinking about the paper as you start thinking about your research because it really they run in parallel. I mean, obviously, the first thing for your research and for the paper is to have an interesting and relevant question or hypothesis, you know, so that's where you start. But if you think about your paper, things like, you know, the methods and what tables and figures you're going to have, um, and even, you know, why you're doing it, that really is all planned in advance. So if you think about the paper, you know, along with your study design, you know, then your study design is going to include everything you need for the paper. So kind of like the simplest example is going to be if you're going to have a table of baseline clinical characteristics, if you were to write out what's going to be in that table, make the table with blanks for all the data, then you're going to be sure to um, get all that data when you're doing the research. That makes sense. It makes sense. One of the other things that uh, I also found fascinating was the section which talks about how to decide on a research question in the first place. And you give a couple of uh, criteria or different approaches. One was the finer criteria and then the PCOT approach. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Let me... uh... You know, the I think that, you know, one of the when uh, an editor is looking at a paper, you know, of course, the first thing they do is to say, is this an important clinical or scientific question? Is this something we don't know the answer to that we'd like to know the answer to? You know, do you have a clearly articulated hypothesis? And there's been a lot written about this and kind of two of the the more um, well-known ones are the finer and PICO approaches. So, The FINER criteria, the FINER is an acronym with the F being feasible, and then I for interesting, N for novel, E for ethical, and R for relevant. So if you ask a feasible, interesting, novel, relevant, and of course ethical question, then you're asking something useful. Um, 
And that's one that, that I think is, is good to think about for any kind of research, whether it's basic or, or clinical. For clinical research, many people, you know, particularly like guideline committees, are thinking more about this PICO or PCODE approach, which again is an acronym. And here it stands for the population you're going to study, the intervention, the comparator, like are you comparing transcatheter valve to surgical valve, what outcomes are you looking at? Are you just looking at mortality or are you looking at quality of life? And then time frame, are you looking at 30-day or five-year, what's your time frame for the study? And again, that's just a very good way to frame your research as you start. And then for the people reading your paper, the reviewers, the editor, the readers, you know, it makes more sense that everything is there, that you're not missing an essential component. Okay, that makes sense. And when it comes to, to choosing your target journal, do you tend to suggest that uh, people write the paper in a certain way with a target journal in mind or to come up with an, an initial almost generic version of the paper and then tweak it according to where they're going to send it? Or how do you give advice to people on that question? I think that's a little harder. I think I tend to, um, you know, not pick the journal, you know, before I start the research, but as the research is being completed and you're beginning to put the paper together, you know, at that point, start thinking about what journal do I want to send it to. Now, obviously, sections like methods and your tables and your figures, you know, really should be the same for any journal. You know, what really is different between journals are things like, you know, how many words you're allowed, how long it's going to be, um, how many references, how much goes in the paper and how much in the online supplement. So I think thinking about the paper partly depends on how you're, with the results of your research. Obviously, if it, it was a, a tremendously you know, positive or important study, you want to go for a journal that's going to be seen by as many people as possible, which tends to be a, you know, a, one with a lot of readership, a great reputation. Um, and as you've been doing with HEART, I think another thing that researchers should look at these days is the social media activity because that's going to affect who notices your paper as well. And in your uh, paper, there's a really excellent uh, table towards the end of the paper where you, you really drill down into the individual sections of a paper, you know, the introduction, the abstract, the methods, the results, and the discussion, and even the tables and figures. And you give some very, uh, what I think is very sound advice about what should go where uh, and how the, the abstract should flow into the introduction. And then the way that you report the results should be in the order of the uh, tests that were set up in the in the methods, if you see what I mean. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned is to be enthusiastic, right, about the paper. Correct. And I think there's an interesting, you know, I think so first of all, I refer people to this table because it gives, uh, you know, what are the essential elements and tips for each section of the paper. And I think it's, it's meant to be very practical, helpful advice. The idea of you know, being enthusiastic about your research needs to be balanced against being honest and acknowledging the limitations. So you need to be enthusiastic because the editor and readers, you know, don't know why you did what you did or what you did and what you found unless you tell them. And if you don't believe in it and think it was useful, then you're not going to convince anyone else. On the other hand, you don't want to go overboard and claim more for your research than is there. So I think being the more honest you are, acknowledging the limitations, having conclusions that are you know, based upon your research at the same time as being enthusiastic will most likely get you positive reviews um, from reviewers because people you know, kind of overreact to, you know, if you are too enthusiastic. But no enthusiasm leads to no enthusiasm on the part of reviewers. <laughs> and just moving on from, from, that, from that point towards reviewers, 
Do you have any advice? I mean, one of the things I struggle with sometimes is responding to reviewers' comments when they perhaps appear not to have completely read the paper or the detailed methods in the supplement. Is there a way of being polite but yet rebutting what they say? Yeah, I think that's that happens to all of us. It's very irritating that, you know, they say that you didn't say something that you can see right there in, you know, line four on page seven. Um, I think in that situation, you know, it is possible the reviewer was, you know, hasty or didn't read it carefully enough. But it's also possible that although you think you've stated it clearly, that somehow it doesn't come across to the reader. So I think it is always wise to be humble and say that you've clarified it and make at least some minor changes in wording and point out where it is. Because for the editor, you know, they're not going to go through your paper line by line and see if the reviewer missed something. So you could just point out to them, here it is on this page. We've clarified it. We've made sure it's it's there. And I know that Hart has been running recently uh, a really popular series of uh, articles to help people display uh, information within their research papers in the optimal way. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yes, and I think the references people will find very helpful. First of all, the BMJ um, and other publishers as well, of course, have a lot of online resources about planning your research, publishing your paper, writing. But I think we've, we found that a lot of the quality of the graphics submitted with clinical research really wasn't up to the standards that we wanted. So we have a series of articles on graphics and statistics for cardiology, on comparing categorical and continuous variables, on how to show meta-analysis, on survival analysis, uh, clinical prediction rules. And these are all about the figures, about what is the best way to show your data. Because as we have you know, become more sophisticated in our ability to both analyze data, we can show it in clearer ways. Instead of just showing a mean value, we can show the distribution of data with complex graphics that are still simple to understand. So I think that authors and researchers need to pay more attention to how are you showing your data to other people visually, because many of us you know, respond very quickly to intuitive, well-designed data that, um, that has a lot of information in a figure. And that's our goal, is to help people make those figures even better. And, and finally, Catherine, if I may, can I just perhaps ask you for a couple of uh, a couple of pearls of wisdom for young researchers just starting out, maybe writing their first uh, serious scientific manuscript. Is there anything that we've talked about that's really important that you see from from your side of the fence as the editor uh, where people go wrong? What would be the number one mistake that people tend to make? Well, I think really the number one mistake is back to that initial question. You know, Make sure that you're starting with a question that is a relevant and interesting question uh, that needs to be answered. And, and then second, make sure that the design of your study can answer that question. And when we start out, we all need to start out often if we want to do everything from baseline ourselves with something fairly simple. So it's okay to ask a small question because every bit of research information adds to our total knowledge. You don't have to start with your life goal in terms of research. You could start with a, you know, something smaller. So I would say that's the biggest error is not starting with a good question. And something that I've learned to rely on more as an editor that I certainly um, encourage young researchers is to use the now many available checklists for research. Go to the Equator Network website. You can get links to different um, checklists that tell you these are the elements you need for your kind of research. And that will really improve the quality of your research right from the start. Because the best way to get your paper published is to have done a good research project in the first place.
Yeah, that sounds great and really good advice. Uh, we need to wrap it up there, Catherine. So uh, many thanks for joining us on this episode. And as I say, I will put links to the uh, published paper uh, on the in the show notes be, be, below the podcast. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thanks for talking. Thank you.